All right, everybody, welcome to the March 24th edition of Cascadian Views. Uh, I've got Dan here with me. JJ's taking a sick day. Howdy, howdy, Brock. Uh, today was the the long-awaited March for Our Lives event. Um, this was the, the event organized by Parkland students after the massacre at their uh, high school. The nationwide one was a success. The crowds in D.C. were larger than in Trump's inauguration, uh, in what shirt to needle him. The, uh, the speakers were extremely eloquent. Uh, these kids have just time after time impressed me with their poise and, and ability to speak. I don't know if you've been similarly impressed. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that, considering all that they've been through and yet they're coming back and trying to make some real change and doing so in a very articulate way against some some of the nastiest political actors in our current discourse and they're still you know going about it with dignity and yeah poise like you said it's very impressive you spent at least part of the day at your local march don't really want to give away what city you live in, but uh, mm -hmm. is there anything you took away from that that you didn't know before? Uh, I'd say it wasn't really any surprises. Uh, it was a very good turnout up here in the uh, far northwest. Didn't quite reach the numbers that we had for the women we've had for the women's march and some other things, but it was right up there. You know, uh, for a city of about ninety thousand people, there was. I'd say probably at least 2,000 that were gathered for the march. So, yeah, it was very impressive. The the marches were held in every state, nearly every substantial city. Uh, there were synchronized walkouts uh, of school classes. And this this has caused some, some consternation and something we don't need to really talk about, but I do want to touch on. Administrators had been uh, kind of threatening students with suspensions. They'll go on their academic records, specifically holding out uh, the threat that colleges would no longer take them. Uh, I was very impressed by the number of top-notch colleges that uh, responded in force, saying that they would never deny a student for activism and things like that. It was re reassuring. Absolutely. Uh, just, you know, I guess you'll see the reaction based on the school district as to what what kind of administrators you're dealing with. I mean. I spend a lot of time working with schools, and most districts I'm aware of have been at least relatively accommodating in how they've approached this. But yeah, I guess there have been at least some efforts to either intimidate students out of participating in certain more conservative districts or uh, co-opting the movement, I guess, with this walk up, not out uh, movement that uh, more conservative folks have been trying to put out as an alternative to uh, the more explicit, um, I don't want to say anti, but you know, pro-gun safety message that the students have been pushing. The, uh, the march that you had up in your town, was that student-led primarily, or was that organized by uh, a group up there? Uh, I know at least most of the speakers that were up there were students. Uh, I didn't see which group specifically had organized it locally, but I would, uh, I could probably find out real quick. No worries on that. Um, yeah. Some of the speeches that were given in DC included a, uh, a long pregnant silence that lasted for as long as the gun attack lasted at Parkland. Uh, wow. There were phenomenal speeches by David Hogg, as usual, who's emerged as kind of the face of this. Mm -hmm. um, probably has something to do with the fact that, you know, his hobbies in school all deal with public speaking. He does theater, he does debate, he, he does things that prepare him for the national spotlight like this. Plus, he's a well-groomed young white man, which makes him naturally attractive to cable news. Sure. You know, at, all right. If you're going to have uh, your privilege, at least do something yeah. good with it. Exactly. I did just uh, check in. It actually was a uh, local student group that organized ours. That is so fantastic. Following and the pattern, yeah. Not just because of this activism, but it's teaching them tools that they will use later in life. Like the ability to organize an event like this is... I'm not going to say it's it's easier than you'd think, but once you've, you've done it, 
it's not as scary anymore. It's easier to do it again. Right? Yeah. Yeah, it's not as intimidating, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's coupled with news today that uh, Trump is going to ban uh, bump stocks and binary triggers. Uh, he attacked Obama for not banning them earlier. Obama, once again, we've covered this on the show before, specifically had the Department of Justice look into bump stocks, and they came with the conclusion that there was nothing in federal law that allowed them to ban. Uh, Trump is going to unilaterally ban them, which gun lobby is not happy with, Gun Owners of America, which is the NRA for people who think the NRA is left-wing. They have Mm -hmm. had a huge surge in numbers in the last decade or so, ever since Sandy Hook. Uh, they pushed conspiracy theories that Sandy Hook was orchestrated in a false flag. They're, they're the Alex Jones of the gun lobby, and they have hundreds of thousands of members. It's scary. Uh, anyway, they've already filed suit. Uh, Trump hasn't even formally enacted the ban yet. He's just tweeted about it, and they've dropped it like a possible. Jeez. Well, let them fight it out, you know. I. Fine. They can have each other. <laughs> you know. Oh, God. They, they deserve each other. <laughs> Speaking of people who deserve each other, uh, H.R. McMaster is out. Points. Who got those points? Uh, that was David. Um, David that, moving up the leaderboard. I he took he took McMaster in the first round, which I I wasn't thinking that was going to be a good move, but eventually it paid off. Uh, who took Joe Arpaio? That was also David. David lost points. Arpaio was part. Yeah, that was a net negative for him. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but he, he, I think he had a few others that have paid off. Uh, I want to say he might have had Scaramucci, or I'm not sure who else. But all told, he's up in first place right now, or tied for first with JJ. Damn. I'd See, I thought I had a great lineup off that draft. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, I guess JJ's up front for now until... Paul Manafort gets pardoned, and then, <laughs> and then it drops back off again. Uh, I wonder, does JJ get a point for every indictment? That's, we... I don't think that's the way we've been scoring it. I okay. think we just, uh, the four indicted gets a point. I was uh, going to say, Manafort's facing a lot of charges. It, it's the prison time under our rules that's going to do it for JJ. <laughs> <laughs> It'll take a while, but once it pays off, you know, if he's not pardoned, it's going to be, it's going to be a huge payoff. Uh, the replacement for Mr. McMaster is, uh, and apologies to Barry White, the Walrus of Love, John Bolton. Oh yeah, uh, that's gonna be good. Uh, you clued me in on something that I honestly thought was just a Twitter joke for months, but apparently one of the big, you know problems with getting Bolton into McMaster's job was Bolton refused to shave his mustache for Trump. Right. And yeah, who knew that was actually the uh the big deal that kept him from getting a job in the administration back in, you know, winter 2016-2017. So <laughs> I guess Trump overcame that. Uh Bolton is good enough on Fox News that uh he's earned himself a job in the administration, I guess also having those Russia ties come up at the last minute also really paid off. The creepy pro-gun video of the Russian uh, gun lobby that was trying to uh, manufacture ties to the NRA to to really throw some some inroads with that organization, which is one of the things Mueller is specifically looking into uh, as it's come out about the Russian money moving into the NRA and being used as election spending. Yeah. Uh, somebody pointed out, why does everybody Trump talked to have some weird fucking Russian connection? <laughs> like, Bolton is not yeah. who I would have thought would have been, like, a traitor. And, uh, you know, it makes perfect sense he would have been in this video, don't get me wrong. But I just, never in my mind did I imagine Bolton going to some shadowy fucking Russian organization and, like, making a promotional election video for them. And nobody noticed it until his nomination. He made this video in 2012. Nobody had seen it. Right. Yeah, I mean, that it seems also kind of counter to his stated uh, ideology. Not well, Ideology, who knows whether it matters anymore. But, you know, he's been a very belligerent figure. I believe he was one of the people within 
the Bush administration agitating for action against uh, Russia back uh, during the invasion of Georgia. And I'd have to look, but I'd imagine he was also pretty belligerent over uh, the events in Ukraine in 2014. You know, he's a guy who hasn't seen a war or a chance to spill blood that uh, he's not entirely in favor of. So it it's a little bit of a weird choice in terms of ideology and the things at least that Trump has said he believes. Yeah, but, it's super yeah. weird. And remember, Bolton is a guy who was supposed to be much more prominent in the Bush administration. He had to take a step down because he was too crazy to get it past a Republican Senate. Right. He couldn't get confirmed, so they had to drop him down to a post that wasn't Senate confirmed. Well, no, it wasn't that it wasn't Senate-confirmed. It was a recess appointment. They uh, Bush made him uh, U.N. ambassador for, like, a year when the Senate was out of <laughs> session. And then when the Democrats took over in 2006, you know, there wasn't anything he could do, so he had to drop the job. But, yeah, yeah, they had to sneak him through. Mm -hmm. uh, and Trump has really stressed his independent brand, even to the point of pissing off Republicans. Uh, one of my favorite sub-stories on, on the Bolton thing is, uh, I believe it was a reporter for the Washington Post, had a little bit of a, a mini-story uh, about Trump apparently getting Bolton to promise not to start any wars. Uh, and everybody thought that that was hilarious, and he must have been crossing his fingers or something behind his back. But it, it actually moved Bolton to make an official statement through a spokesman denying he had ever promised not to start any wars. Which is just the yeah. most reassuring thing in the world. Well, it's an easy promise to keep. You know, the National Security Advisor doesn't start wars. <laughs> he can just talk the president into doing it. You know, yeah, bomb him. Bomb him. And, you know, I can imagine Trump just putting up a really strong resistance to that push one of the uh one of my favorite little jokes going around that uh with the i didn't promise not to start any wars thing uh was yeah but i will certainly finish a few oh god oh boy jesus that's something yeah. yeah uh bolton is bolton gonna be able to get past the senate i mean if pompeo of all people is having problems well, that's, Bolton that's, has to be too far a bridge. That's the madness. You know, the National Security Advisor is not Senate confirmable. He he has the job. Oh I mean, Jesus it was the same Christ! Thing with, with Flynn, I mean, there was you know, it was potential that he could have, if he had to be confirmed by the Senate, there probably could have been some issues, you know, between people concerned about him, both among Democrats and Republicans. But since National Security Advisor is just you know, serves at the pleasure of the president and nobody else. How yeah. is somebody this important for this many administrations and has never been confirmed by the Senate to a single post? It's it's all about, you know, the norms of the presidency. We don't usually elect corrupt idiots who don't know anything about foreign or domestic policy to this job. So I don't know. You know. We've had a couple Republicans in a row. Yeah. Well, well oh, yeah, I, I, I shouldn't whitewash Bush. But oh, he keeps. <sighs> Bush's problem was that he was woefully unprepared for the job. Not that What's he's an that? actual Nazi. Uh, right. Trump is both woefully unprepared and an actual Nazi. So I mean, you're not whitewashing to forget about Bush a little bit. He was less bad. Yeah. But oh, well, he he killed a million people. But... Yeah. 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 Trump but through ignorance, there. not through let's go out and kill a million people. Right, you know, Trump could certainly top that in a few hours, depending yeah. on how things go the rest of this year, as terrifying as that gets. Yeah, Bush had no foreign policy experience, got rolled by, you know, more hawkish elements of his cabinet, and was lied to himself while he lied to us. He's not ungullible. He lied to us because he thought he was doing a good thing, and he was lied to because they told him this war would be over in like 48 hours, and we're still fucking over there a decade and a half later. <laughs> Yeah. Yep. That's just wonderful. It's ridiculous. Uh, so yeah, we're all gonna die, as you said. Bolton right. uh, is a cheerleader for for things like tactical nukes and more liberal application of this 
uh, first strike, you know, preventative warfare, uh, preemptive self-defense, or whatever the fuck they're calling it. Yeah, yes. which, which is exactly what we're terrified that Trump is going to do in Korea. Uh, I guess he's also a major critic of the Iran deal, which is one area where he's absolutely simpatico with uh, Trump. You know, Obama did it, so it must be terrible. The so, Iran deal is objectively working. We, yeah. we got pissed off that they tested a missile, which they weren't prohibited from testing. That That's like Trump's entire rationalization on this. The, the U.S. State Department and Tillerson was pissed off that Iran was, was doing ballistic missile tests when they had every right to do ballistic tests. Blah, blah. Ballistic yeah. missile, I transpose those two words. <laughs> Yeah, but it's it's not about you know whether or not it's in line with the deal. It's uh, whether it's a convenient excuse to uh, start dropping some bombs if uh, they feel like it. So, what a wonderful time to be alive. Do you yeah. remember when Israel bombed the shit out of that Iran nuclear plant? Well, I don't think I was born yet, but... Uh, no, no, yeah. no, no. This was just well, a few years ago. The, oh, different operation. Maybe, I mean, the famous, maybe the, the famous one was in the eighties, I think. You know, with, or oh 70s, yeah, eighties where they you know flew over and you know bombed their facility. But so there was something more recent where they yeah, or maybe it was a Syrian facility. Um, yeah, you were talking about the eighty one Operation Opera. Yeah. Uh, no. Uh, yeah, WikiLeaks had documents from Stratfor. Uh, that the Israeli and the Kurds in 2011 struck a uh, Iranian heavy, heavy water reactor in Iraq. Just, just huh. blew it the fuck up. Wow. I yeah, actually, I had not, I had not been on top of that. So, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the belief uh, that uh, Bolton is pushing, really. I think. Yeah, that's, said is that that's why I brought it up. To- don't want Iran to have a bomb, you bomb them. But that, how are you going to destroy their entire capacity in a single bombing attack? <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Now, and even doubly so for North Korea, which has all their development deep underground. They have miles and miles of mine, old mines that they've used as these huge nuclear production facilities that are deep underground and prevented from strike. Right. Uh, Not to mention the fact that North Korea, as I bring up every time, with like 90 seconds notice can start raining down fire and brimstone on one of the largest cities in the world. It's a no-win situation. Any sort of first strike on North Korea, A, is not going to destroy their nuclear capability, and B, they don't need their nuclear capability to reduce Seoul to a pile of liquid metal. Right. Uh, wasn't I was reading also? I think uh, South Korea at least is trying to develop more anti-artillery defenses. I think in preparation for that. But I I would hope so. But also, good fucking luck on that. Yeah. Howitzers are not that easy to you know stop, especially exactly. because they're on fucking wheels. Like they move their position. Can't have like detailed firing instructions for what to do to take out their first line of defense when it's a bunch of mobile artillery. I think it's like eighteen thousand of them or something pointed at Seoul. At any time. Right. Well, no wonder they could level it so quickly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <sighs> oh, that's good. Yeah. Happy times. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay. Let's talk our our two Trump news items. Trump's legal team is uh, more or less expanding. His personal lawyer is out, has resigned in the wake of, uh, I guess, fights with Trump over bringing on new lawyers and differences with Todd Cobb. Uh, his new lawyer, Dijanova, uh, who is a, a right-wing gagfly of some repute, is now apparently not going to be able to come on because of conflict of interest. I don't actually know if that's the real reason. I suspect it's because he wrote lengthily on the ability to indict a sitting president in the 90s, and spoiler, he was all for it back then, uh, which kind of runs at odds with what Trump wants. So when that came to light, uh, and it's not that people didn't know, but when it showed up on Fox and Friends, well, you know, that's a different sort of thing. 
Right. Um, what was I going to say? Yeah, I, he was a he and his wife actually were big propagandists out to get Clinton frequently on uh, Fox News and MSNBC. Uh, from what I understand, uh, at least there is the potential for conflict. I understand his wife has represented Sam Clovis, who has been cooperating with the Mueller investigation, was a former Trump spokesman. So Wait, that I could see. Sam Clovis was their spokesman. Wasn't he uh, that that governor he, dude with the mustache, right? Yes, not a governor, but yeah, he was from Iowa. He was with them out there. Uh, he had some role in the campaign. Uh, but yeah, he's been cooperating with the Mueller investigation, and I guess Tonsig was uh, representing him. And so, yeah, I could definitely see that creating a conflict that would make them ineligible to represent Trump. But they'll still, I guess, go on TV and do everything he wants them to do anyway in terms of you know, making a big noise on Fox and Friends. Hmm. Interesting to note, Clovis uh, withdrew himself from consideration for his appointment to the uh, Undersecretary of Agriculture after it came out that his cooperating investigation, but President Trump never withdrew his name. Hmm. The nomination was returned unconfirmed by the U.S. Senate eventually a couple, couple months later under their rules, but Trump never formally withdrew his name. Odd, yeah. I want to say he probably also had disclosure issues too. I'm assuming so many of them did. Yeah, but, seems like yeah. everybody. Exactly. So yeah, that's fun. Uh, the other lawyer who might be out is uh, it's rumored that the White House counsel Cohn uh, wants to leave by the summer, possibly maybe convinced to drag it along until fall, but intends to leave the administration. Uh, he has told all his friends, according to all his friends. Okay. Well, that's also a little scary. Yeah. Because uh, he was one of the people who uh, Trump ordered him to fire Mueller, and he just didn't. And I guess that, <laughs> that didn't come to anything out of that, but uh, certainly could at any time, especially if uh, who knows who he puts in his place, Michael Cohen or whoever. There is uh, kind of one of the things surrounding this um, – that's come out about this as Trump has been talking about vacancies and who he's going to be firing is he started talking to aides about what happens if he just doesn't have a chief of staff. Uh, I'm, I'm dead serious. He's sounding them out about this idea where like his top aides all report directly to him and then everybody else reports to his top aides. And he just, I, I, I don't want anyone to stop me from getting on the phone with Sebastian Gorka if I want to. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, that's oh, that's Lord. the exact situation. He he was sounding them out about the legal process about how if he has Kelly resign, uh, you know, and just never appoint somebody in his place, how can he get authority to his, his aides? How can he organize it? Like his his business empire is organized with his top aides all having full power and they being the ones reporting him. Wow, that is pretty nuts. Uh, I mean, yeah, legally, I I think. It's just a matter of him setting up, you know, appointments and delegating the proper authority within his uh, within his within his White House. I don't see it that being much of an obstacle. But, but a um, lot of federal law actually refers to the chief of staff. By name. There's really? a lot of federal law about how organizations are like structured that huh. assumes a chief of staff. You don't say. Well, they are the chief of staff. They're the person in charge sure. of the actual, like, people in the government. Yeah. Right. It's someone who's empowered to speak for the president, but I would assume it was mostly just a matter of the president or his designee. There, huh. There is probably some room for that. There's – and I'm, I'm going to assume because the Supreme Court has a duty that if there's a way to interpret a law that makes it constitutional, they are bound to interpret it that way. I would assume that there's a way to read all these laws as the person who the president designates, but the chief of staff is mentioned by name in much hmm. of federal law dealing with the executive branch. And also sure. previous executive orders that still have the force of law that determine how it's laid out. Yeah. Okay. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, that – I mean it just sounds like a nightmare for running his administration. But uh, Probably yeah. what he wants. 
because just to yeah yeah get anything done to be able to run it the way he wants he probably thinks all this shit is a nightmare where he has to follow all these rules and laws and crap yeah except yeah nothing ever well i get i could understand his frustration that you know he you know fires something off on twitter and you know it suddenly it's not like that yet even though he's demanded that it be so but yeah and and yeah some of that is his staff trying to protect him from himself and i can see why he's frustrated with that but at the same time you know it's not just resistance to him he's just not doing things the way that he's supposed to (laughs) oh dear god that is something else well, let's get on to the other something else then, uh, and that's the big Cheeto and his little Cheeto. Uh, mm-hmm. On 60 Minutes, let's say today, I'll have the video up tomorrow, or I'll have the audio up tomorrow. Uh, today, as you're listening to this, Stormy Daniels will be doing a two-hour interview on 60 Minutes on CBS. And yes, two hours is much more than 60 Minutes. It's a 120 <laughs> episode this week. Uh, Stormy's lawyer has dropped some subtle hints, uh, such as tweeting out a picture of a DVD and telling the president to go ahead and lie about it. Um, He has made court filings which make it abundantly clear Stormy Daniels has pictures of the president's penis. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's going to be wild. He went out of his way. To make it as clear as possible because he knew he could not go to like a news organization and be like i have pictures of the president's penis the judge would slap him silly so he made it as ridiculously obvious in his court filings as possible there is Great. so much showmanship in this lawyer and i can kind of appreciate that i i really mm-hmm. can sure yeah i mean it's gonna be quite a show you know you can't it's hard to top that there is a second uh, adult entertainment star. I called her a porn star. You corrected me very, very quickly on that. She is a classy lady. She is a Playboy Absolutely. centerfold. Playmate of the year, I believe you reminded me. Playmate of the year, 1998. That's right. <laughs> uh, she has also alleged an affair with Trump. Uh, she used her media time to make a direct apology to the first lady melania apparently this affair happened just a couple months after his marriage which you know tells you all you need to know about that guy uh and apparently trump tried to pay her afterwards and she didn't know how to feel about that didn't she say she was offended i thought either her or stormy said that you know he tried to pay her and it you know pissed her off because you know that's not what it was supposed to be about uh, in the the CNN interview I saw, she said she she wasn't sure how to feel about that uh, at the time, at least. I don't know if she came to other decisions later. Uh, yeah. Stormy, Stormy is Stormy, and she's going to be very professional about this. I'm, we'll talk about that for just a second. But with this playmate, it seems much more kind of emotionally driven. With the apology to Melania and all that, I think these are like two sides of one coin that work very well together. Sure. Um, Stormy is very analytical. She she's a director. She's a producer. She's also a, a performer. Um, Marshall on on Twitter made the point today that you can't slut shame her. You know what's Trump going to do when he says right. go look at the sex tape? She's going to say which one? She's got thousands. Right, yeah, I made good money on it. Yeah. Turned it into a minor empire. Yeah, please, yeah. go buy my sex tapes. I That's get right. a cut of that money. Please, as many as you want. I'll even give you a discount. Enter <laughs> Trump20 on checkout, and you'll get 20% off. Oh, God. Yeah, you want to see the tape where I'm spanking him with the magazine? <laughs> oh, man. It, oh, 2018. Stormy has uh, a business empire of her own. Uh, she has continually expanded. She's smart. She's yeah. extremely smart. Uh, and extremely cold and calculating. Uh, the whole legal process she's gone through has been incredibly disciplined, uh, both on her part and her lawyer's part. Uh, where they have gone forward, 
they've made sure that they were on steady ground, regardless of whether the president thought they were on steady ground or not. She's done everything by the book. She is probably the most dangerous woman in America to Trump's presidency at this point. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, Trump had made noises uh, about suing 60 Minutes to stop them from airing this interview. He never did anything about it. He can't do anything about it. Prior restraint is a huge bar to pass before any court will endorse it. And even if they did argue that her non-disclosure agreement was somehow in effect here, it doesn't fucking bind 60 Minutes. You can punish Stormy after she violates it. You don't get to tell a news media outlet that they can't broadcast it. Exactly. Yeah, she's already out there, and so whatever repercussions, if they are there, they fall on her. But yeah, huh? That that seems like it's going to be worth watching, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, let's uh, let's do our, our little bit of, of court talk now before we go to our, our local story here. Coming this week uh, is a. Well, this case hasn't been on my radar until just a few months ago, but the subject's been uh, something I've been looking at for about a year now. Um, on Wednesday of next week, the court will hear the redistricting case out of Maryland. It's officially known uh, as Benesek v. Lamone. It is a complementary case to the Wisconsin redistricting uh, case from earlier this year. That case was heard in October. This case was added to the docket uh, just a, f a few days after that case was argued, um, and it's been an important piece of evidence, um, evidence that the court is about to make a very big step on redistricting. Uh, and I, I think we'll go through kind of all the evidence over the course of this. The Maryland case argues on First Amendment grounds, on freedom of association grounds, that the Democratic-controlled legislature of Maryland, and that is an important fact here, the Democratic-controlled legislature, gerrymandered a single district, the Maryland 6th, which includes a, a large swath of the panhandle of Maryland up above Virginia there, up above northern Virginia and West Virginia, way up east there, uh, and then comes in to grab various little suburban areas uh, farther in in a, a very long snake-like pattern that it's a little weird. I'm not going to say it's the most gerrymandered district I've ever seen. It's actually fairly compact when you consider that a vast majority of it is a long, thin-ass panhandle. Mm -hmm. So there's not anywhere it can go, and then it, it grabs a few towns. Uh, weird. Not the weirdest. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that case, or this case, is basically viewed as a extension of the Wisconsin case, even though they take very different arguments. But it's seen that way for a couple reasons. One, if the justices are looking to make a very big statement on uh, gerrymandering and partisan gerrymandering, they will want to make it in a nonpartisan fashion, at least as nonpartisan as they can. The Wisconsin case challenged Republican maps. The Maryland case challenges Democratic maps. It allows them to slap both sides and look like they're they're playing fair. Even, even considering that the Wisconsin case is a massive case involving almost every district, and the Maryland case is a single district. Um, right. But also throughout arguments in the Wisconsin case, which mainly focused around a concept of wasted votes, um, that the voter efficiency standard, all these uh, numbers and statistics come up with measurements of partisan gerrymandering. And many of the Republican appointees on the court were uncomfortable with that. I'm not going to say that they were ruling it out completely, but they did have problems with that. Um, but they did seem to have a clear majority that partisan gerrymandering was not okay. And this is very different from the last time the court looked at this a decade and a half ago, where there were four Republican appointed or conservative justices who thought the Supreme Court should never be allowed to review a partisan gerrymandering case. Four liberal justices who thought the Supreme Court obviously could review partisan gerrymandering cases. And Justice Kennedy, who eventually decided that the court shouldn't look into this particular one but did not say that the court should never be able to look into them. Uh, so every conservative justice on the court voted unanimously back then that 
the Supreme Court should never be able to get involved in these cases, and only Kennedy provide, prevented that from being the standard. Uh, in this case, all the conservatives seem to agree that this is a problem. Uh, Alito said that partisan gerrymanders were uh, distasteful during the, the argument, uh, and they all acknowledged that they were a problem. So it looked like they, they had the answer. They just needed a way to get to it, kind of. Right. And at least I think the, the behind-the-scenes speculation that you were engaging in there is pretty accurate that Roberts is looking for a way to do this that, again, doesn't look like he's spanking Republicans for being you know on the bad side of the law, that he's trying to be even-handed, affect both sides in some way, even if, as you said, it's mostly a token smack against the Democrats for this one seat in Maryland. The uh, the other thing that comes up is throughout the uh, and I, I'm touching this briefly, but the conservative justices were very uncomfortable with the statistical modeling used to show measures of, of gerrymandering and show that these voters were being disenfranchised. Uh, Roberts called it asked if this is all sociological gobbledygook. Um, and in the Maryland case, they are making the argument uh, a freedom of association argument that they are being prevented from their their political voices from being heard under the First Amendment. Uh, and that is a argument that it seemed the conservative justices were looking to get out of the Wisconsin case. Yeah. So, uh, I'm sorry, what are you saying? This is, I was going to say, yeah, this is what gets them there, gets them at least to the type of argument they want to make on yeah. you know, First Amendment and freedom of association rather than, again, due process and right under the 14th amendment or yeah to yeah now the the other bit of tea leave reading on this case uh, has come from a, a challenge out of North Carolina I believe it was to the maps drawn there in that case uh, which was sent to the Supreme Court uh, it's still pending before the Supreme Court but it will not be taken up this term uh, the Supreme Court in the Supreme Court decision not taking it up, every single liberal justice voted to take it up, to move it up the docket, to get the decision out quickly. They voted in a, in a four-justice you know, block, and that signaled to a lot of people that gerrymandering is going to be severely restricted and that they wanted to get this in before the midterm elections in time to have districts drawn. Yeah. Well, that's... Then they're going to have to be ruling very soon, like in the next, probably in the next month, honestly. Yeah, uh, the Pennsylvania case, uh, they got new districts just a couple weeks ago. Right, because the deadline for filing in their primary was last week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, these right things can, yeah, come about very quick. Uh, the case was eventually pushed to a later term. Uh, like I said, I believe it's still pending before the Supreme Court. It's just pending for next term. Uh, but that was read by a lot of people who say that that signals that they know what the decision on, on gerrymandering is. They, they know what the outcome is. If the outcome is no, these maps are, are fine, why even vote to take the case? Just, just kick it back to the, 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 not the circuit court, the court of appeals. Right, right. Or put down an adverse ruling and that would effectively end the question. Yeah. So yeah, huh? Well, I think there's some good reasons to hope here, you know, considering just how awful the court's approach has been to this question for years and years. I mean, they've effectively taken the position for so long that your remedy is at the ballot box, but the whole point is that you don't have access to a fair ballot box. So yeah, this could be a major change. And hopefully for the better. I'm a little bit worried. I thought the voter efficiency standard in the Wisconsin case was absolutely incredible. I thought the the amount of, of mental talent that they got from the academic world, the statistical modeling world, the maths world, people with, you know, PhDs in this sort of thing to all work together and lay out actual real numbers. This voter efficiency standard has been very well received, especially among liberals. Uh, it's a measure of wasted votes. Uh, basically, every vote that you have cast in a district without winning and every vote that you have cast for your 
candidate above the 50% plus one that it takes to win is a wasted vote. And you're basically looking to see if both parties have somewhere around the same number of wasted votes. That's what, that's what you'd expect uh, among statistical chance. Uh, sure. But in the Wisconsin case, it was hugely, hugely different. And the percentage of Democratic wasted votes was something like the majority of all the votes cast for Democrats, whereas for Republicans, it was a relatively small percentage. Uh, they argued that the, the likelihood of that outcome you know, occurring by chance was one in the tens of billions in crab it was uh pretty bad yeah well i could kind of see why they're resistant to that i think for the more conservative legal theorists relying on that kind of social science uh as opposed to something in the text itself is regarded as you know, terrifying heresy to be resisted at all costs so yeah, they're probably looking for something else instead. Uh, we were kind of shooting the bull about this before, and you know, I'm hoping that they'll use it towards a good end. But it, it it's been rather disturbing to me the way uh, conservative legal theorists have been using the First Amendment in the last few years. I think we're increasingly getting a view put out there that the First Amendment is primarily for allowing individuals and corporations to discriminate against LGBT people and to uh, allow employees to force unions to work for them for free. So <laughs> we'll, we'll see if they've got some better application for it here. But it's it, at least it's been a very strange uh, use of uh, that typically yeah, fairly civil libertarian uh, cause and you know, line of legal thinking i uh i strongly suspected that we were going to have the wisconsin decision before we got to the maryland oral arguments uh mm -hmm. just because of the distraction for the court it's going to cause uh, people journalists trying to read into everything they say uh to get an idea of the outcome of this uh so i'm i would not be surprised if the wisconsin decision comes down uh, on tuesday or wednesday morning they do uh, opinions on Tuesday or Wednesday, and they do oral arguments after opinions. So I would not be surprised if that that case, the Wisconsin case, came down either the day before or the day of this oral arguments, because otherwise it's going to be a fucking circus. Sure. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Probably very close. I would think. Uh, but maybe not. I could be wrong. Um, this case is coming up, and maybe we'll get them together. You were theorizing that, that they might consolidate them. Although, like I said, they, they're making two very different arguments. Right, right. Um, and the, the scuttlebutt I see, and none of us can know for sure, absolutely. Uh, the Supreme Court is notoriously secretive. Uh, but the scuttlebutt is that the, expect the expected ruling, is a very narrow ruling in Wisconsin case that invalidates those maps because frankly those maps are too ridiculous to stand but they don't want to use the Wisconsin standard nationwide so a very narrow ruling that only applies to Wisconsin that overturns those maps and then using the Maryland case to make the, the broader uh, the yeah. broader standard that's what I would expect too because yeah, I think if you take the if you take the Wisconsin standard and you start actually using it in districts from Ohio to North Carolina and so on, yeah, you're going to you're going to generate uh, some very adverse adverse results for Republicans very quickly, and that's a genie I don't think Justice Roberts wants to let out of the bat the bottle. Plus, he might get impeached. Right. I don't know if you've been following Pennsylvania, but articles of impeachment against four of their justices were filed. Well, sure. I, I, I hope they're not going anywhere. Yeah, yeah, that's, oh, gosh. they. Well, there's that. Uh, I think there's also in uh, Wisconsin, uh, when Walker has been refusing to hold these elections to fill vacant Republican seats, uh, I guess just this week the uh, courts there ordered him to actually hold the elections, and the response from him and from the legislature has been that they're going to change the law so that they no longer have to do it. So, yeah, it's just this contempt for uh, law if it's going to compel them to 
allow a democratic result. Small D democratic. Well, I mean, big D too. They don't want another Mississippi or Alabama. And Mississippi might be another Alabama. Sure. All right. Uh, Let's go to our last local story and wrap up here. Um, Jeff Merkley, the not even longtime senator from Oregon, but a senator from Oregon, Mm -hmm. who is mostly known uh, as being the guy you can't remember, I, I think would be a great way to put it. Not that I think he's a bad guy. I think he's a great senator. I have one of his campaign pins in my box, in my room, actually. I I met the guy at the Democratic Victory uh, Celebration the year that I did the Chuck Riley Mm -hmm. campaign with uh, with every guy. Great guy. Very quiet, very soft-spoken, very blends-into-the-background type guy. He doesn't really make a splash, even though he's probably one of the more progressive senators in the Senate. Uh, He's not Uh, a bomb thrower. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's kind of the ground he staked out there for himself. He was the only the only senator during the primaries in 2016 to endorse Bernie Sanders. Uh, <laughs> kind of staked out a position on the left, such as it is. Um, I think, well, that's probably going to be a crowded place to be, um, <laughs> given where everyone else is uh, looking to run. But, yeah, I think if... If Bernie were going to come in and anoint someone, uh, Merkley's as good a candidate for that as any, just because of that, you know, personal affinity there. There's so little difference in style between the two, though. Even if their policy goals are basically, you know, hand in hand. Right, right. Yeah, you know, Merkley's much more low key. Uh, I think. I don't he's... even know if Merkley is low key, as maybe Merkley doesn't know how to sell himself. I mean, or maybe he does, and he really is Loki. Maybe this is just how Merkley is. Or maybe we're about to see a whole new side of Merkley, because pretty sure he's running for president, guys. The Oregonian has been convinced for uh, like a year and a half now, actually. Hmm. Uh, they, they've they've been, ever since the like 2016 campaign, they were suspecting that he was positioning himself for a run in four years or eight years. Uh, and now... Well, he's doing what you do, man. He's going to New Hampshire. He's going to these first-in-the-nation primary stakes. He's meeting with local Democrats. He's building connections. He's you know, laying the groundwork for endorsements in the state. And New Hampshire is one of the last bastions of retail politics where they expect you to shake their hand and ask for their vote and tell you why they should vote for you. And if they don't see you in person to do that, they will not vote for you. Um, right. It's... A lot of people have problems with that attitude. They say it's a, a bit entitled. It overemphasizes the importance of these two overwhelmingly white states, Iowa and New Hampshire, but it is how it is. So he's doing what you got to do. They're, do they know a year and a half ago? Because this is exactly what somebody does when they're they're getting ready to run for president. Yeah. Uh, I hadn't you know, really thought of him as being a particularly ambitious guy, but... I've also kind of speculated that uh, the governor of Washington here, Jay Inslee, who could probably be mistaken for Jeff Merkley by most East Coast press people, (laughs) uh, has been thinking about it as well. I've kind of wondered what a serious run by a Pacific Northwest politician would really look like, just because, again, it's not a very flashy kind of political style out here. Jay Inslee has some of that flash, though. He does. Um, Somewhat. He, he had that big thing where he told off Trump, I guess, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, yeah. And, and he's 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 a fairly routine fixture on the news circuit. He, mm-hmm. He's on Maddow. He's on MSNBC often enough. He's on CNN often enough, talking about carbon taxes, talking about, in the most recent dust-up, the uh, transparency bill, which he finally got to the right place on and vetoed. He... Mm-hmm. he knows how to handle himself on TV. Um, and, and Merkley's starting to learn that. During the, the beginning days of the Trump administration, Merkley had done uh, like live broadcast outside the Senate doors after you know Democrats had been whisked away for one reason or another. Uh, but it was always like directly to supporters, never with like the news media really. So I, right. I just, I don't know how well that's going to translate. Uh, yeah. And Inslee, I don't have that sort of question. I think Inslee is a packaged product. He can pull this off. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. Would be interesting. Yeah, the field is so crowded, at least at least among the the top shelf names. You've got probably I would say four or five plausible nominees. Some of them I grit my teeth over more than others, but uh yeah, to throw in some very uh I guess people that would not at all be on the radar again at that whole beltway media structure is really gonna shake things up a little bit. So, yeah. And it's starting any day now. Jeez, we've got eight months at most until the campaign basically begins. All right. Well, that's going to just about do it for this week for us. Uh, what are you looking at this week, Dan? What do you follow? All right. I'll go with uh, some pop culture this week. Uh, I think I highlighted it last season, too. But uh, the last season of The Americans is starting up on Wednesday. And we get in Russian intrigue in the news, and we get some great stuff in our entertainment as well. Uh, like I said, it's the last season, so everything's coming to a head, and I'm looking forward to seeing how it all turns out. All right. Uh, I'll go with some entertainment, too, on that note, then. Uh, one Netflix series I've been getting really into is uh, Everything Sucks. It is a locally filmed locally produced Netflix show filmed in Boring, Oregon, a uh, suburb of Portland. It's kind of more of an excerpt. It's pretty far out there, but in the Portland orbit. And uh, it's a high school drama set in the middle of the 90s with a soundtrack to match that strums all my nostalgia features. Uh, it heavily focuses on a bunch of kind of misfits and outcasts in high school and a drama department and all sorts of stuff like that. It, it's good nostalgic fun. I, I have highly enjoyed it. I won't... I've scrolled past that a few times. I've been thinking about it, so it's good. It, right. it is It is good. Um, yeah, some of the... It's hard to talk about it without really giving away some major plot points because of the subject matter that it deals with in a lot of cases, but you pick up on them pretty quick. Uh, you'll figure out kind of the, the main big part of the show before the character actually tells you about it by about an episode and a half. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but do check it out. You will love it. All right. We'll definitely do that then. All right. Thanks for joining me, Dan. All right. Well, have a good week. You too.